0: Because I think the most important part is for people to understand how to enjoy
1: their money, how to enjoy life. Are your investments designed for the life you want to live? Beth Blecker, Financial Life Planning, CEO of Eastern Planning and Author, believes it's not just money, it's your life. And her goal is to help her clients depending on their needs and challenges, plan with confidence so they can enjoy their lives and be worry-free. Wouldn't we all like to create change in our lives? These compelling and extraordinary conversations can help you make better life choices. I'm Terry Yaffe, executive career and business coach and founder of Try Coaching. Welcome Beth Lecker. How are you today? I'm doing great. This is like a very beautiful day in the New York area. You're absolutely right. And I am thrilled to have you on the show. So Beth, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Believe it or not, I went to school.
0: As with many people my age, I was the first generation to go to college And I was told or suggested continuously that being a teacher is a very good thing for a woman to be because then they can have a family and have days off when your kids are off. So as being a good little girl, (laughs) I went to school to be a teacher. And actually, fortunately, it turned out that when I graduated, there were No teaching jobs available. And I went to a counseling program, which was sort of a, let's see what you're good in. And teaching didn't come up on the what I was good at. (laughs) What came up on what I was good at was accounting. And that like shocked me because I sort of have like a learning disability, which I can't add, subtract, multiply, divide in my head. But I'm very good at calculators but it's the concepts I was very good at. So I then proceeded to go into a career of accounting. And of course I got married because that was the what you were supposed to do. And I had children, what you were supposed to do. And my husband was an accountant, a CPA. I was a corporate accountant, so I worked in a business, but he was working for a CPA firm and then opened his own business. So having two little children at home, I went to work for him. And we proceeded to have an accounting practice and it developed into financial planning, which I was doing a lot of the financial planning and I adored it. It's wonderful to be able to help people with their future as rather than tell them their numbers of the past. And I adored it. And moving into that, Eastern Planning was born. Unfortunately, a divorce came next and I worked at building Eastern planning,
1: which is a career I love. Obviously, what comes to mind for me, and I could really be wrong, is I don't think there were many women who were pioneers at that time. So what was it like? You know, you got a divorce. You were untethered from a male partner going alone. So it was scary. And you are absolutely
0: right, because not only was I going into a field that was a very low percentage women, but it was my own business. So I was a female entrepreneur running my own business. Now I was good at running businesses because that's what I did as an accountant for a living. But being a woman running their own business, there was a lot of negative talk around me, a lot. And it was almost like, should I give up and go work for somebody? And- dedication was very important to me. So I was really dedicated to my clients and making this business work. And I was also extremely fortunate in having two very supportive children. You've already met my daughter and you know how strong-willed she is. Well, she was in college at the time and she was like my biggest support system. And she actually was majoring at that time in entrepreneurship. And she was like using me as a study. She helped me build a business plan. She was so supportive. And then my son graduated college and he was always going to go into finance, but he was going to work for another firm. But he decided that he would come in and help me with this business, which was beyond amazing. And it was so different being partnered. And at the time he was working for me, but it's so different being partnered with a son who understands your worth than with an ex-husband who always thought that they were going to be the big one and you were going to just like be down there. And my son and I have an amazing relationship. And so it was just very hard, but back to the original question, which was about women. Even today, my firm I have a broker-dealer. It's my business, Eastern Planning, but the back office. The back office has independent advisors, right? So they all have their own business. Until this year, they were at industry level equal in women, which was 17%. This year, they just announced that they'd have 24% women advisors. Think about that. 24%. That's low and that is a high number 17% is industry wide women make fabulous financial planners i just think a lot of girls are afraid to say they think like maybe like i did numbers and 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 they financial planning is like you would know coaching and sometimes i think i'm a marriage counselor and a social worker and there's so many personal aspects in financial planning that i think women do
1: Phenomenal. You have a podcast. It's not just money. It's life. So tell us about as a financial planner, what exactly you do to make a difference, to make an impact on your clients and how they can create change. So my podcast is actually
0: named after my book. It's not just money. It's life. And I wrote that book because that is what Eastern planning does. I feel that the difference in life is not just being good at managing money. I mean, that's important, but that's a very small piece because I think the most important part is for people to understand how to enjoy their money, how to enjoy life. And that's what I try to bring in Eastern planning. Sometimes... People don't know how to save and they enjoy their money too much too soon. (laughs) And my job is to help them control, save, build a nest egg so that they can stop working when they want to and enjoy their life. More often than not, my job is to help my clients spend money. I love my job because most of my clients are savers. They spent year after year after year accumulating this nest egg. Now it's time to retire and they don't want to
1: spend it. Is that partly because they didn't spend that much while they were saving that they put X amount of dollars away? So they had a mindset of not spending. I better save it. And now that they can spend it, their mindset hasn't shifted to be more of a, pardon the pun, growth mindset. It's more fixed. Well, this is how I've lived. This is what I've done. I'm going to continue. Even though I have X number of dollars, I'm going to live on a shoestring. So a little bit of that
0: is true. More so, it's that I'll, I'll use a very round number. So for everybody, it's different numbers. So this is nothing to say about retirement. But let's say you have a million dollars, right? And it's invested and the money goes up and the money goes down. And over time, the money goes up more than it went down. So you have more than. They like having more than. So they don't want to spend the what they could spend to maintain their money. So if they're retired at 60 and they're going to die way out there in the future, we don't need to have two and a half million dollars when we die, right? We need to maybe still have a million, maybe a little bit more, but we're not, our goal is not to keep that million growing and growing and growing and growing. Our goal is to use the money. So that we can support our lifestyle, and the biggest fear of any person I've ever retired is running out of money. So they never like spending their principal, although sometimes it looks like that that's happening because the market goes down. But they never want to say, "Oh my God, I have a million dollars and now I only have four hundred thousand. What's going to happen to me?" And those people with children, no matter how much they still spend money on their children, and how much they've spent on their children. They never want to have a time in their life that they're going to have to go to their children to support them. Although I tease my daughter all the time that I'm going to do that, but no, I would never want to do that. And none of my clients would ever
1: want to say, I ran out of money, knock, knock. I ran out of money. Now take me in. You know, we're laughing, but it's a mindset. How do you help them or work with them or coach them, if you will, to get over that sense, that mindset, and shift to whatever I have. And, and there's different levels, right? There's the people that know they've got less than that and they've got a fixed income. And yet, how can they be happy with what they have and not look the grass is greener elsewhere, right? Or alternatively, those that have the money and holding on to it. Even though they can spend it, how do you shift mindsets with them so they can see both pictures? So, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a story that
0: I have in my book. And it's a client that was an original client. And very unfortunately, she died this year. Many years ago, I had a client who came to become a client with her husband. And shortly after they retired, her husband passed away. So now she had enough money to live her lifestyle. So remember, everybody has their own lifestyle and they all need a certain amount of money to live their lifestyle. And she had enough. She had more than enough to live her lifestyle. And she called me up one day and she said to me, I'm really upset. I need to go to, and her, one of her children, her son lived in Israel I need to go to Israel to visit my son, and my grandson is about to get married, and I really want to go to Israel for the wedding, but I don't want to fly there. It's like such, so hard, and I'm going to be doing it alone my first time, and it's just such a hard flight. And I said to her, well, would it help you if you flew first class? And she said to me, I can't fly first class. I'm not rich. And I said, well, you're rich enough. And she had enough money. I said, you're rich enough to fly first class. She said, are you sure? I said, I am positive. Why don't you get first class ticket? See how it is. And if you enjoy it, maybe that'll allow you to want to go visit more often to see your family in Israel. So she said, okay. Although she did call me two more times before she bought the ticket and left. But she said, okay, and she got the first class ticket and she flew to Israel and she came home and she called me up to tell me she loved it. It was the best experience she ever had. She felt so rich. She felt so pampered. It was so wonderful. That's great. Not a year later, she calls me back up and she goes, I really want to go to Israel again to visit my son. Can I still afford to fly first class? Well, the answer, of course, was yes, but she didn't change. She still had to call me up for permission. So you don't change. You just get reinforcements, reinforcements, reinforcements.
1: That is quite a story. I, I love it. It's human. You know, it, it, it kind of hits home because I think a lot of people wanted, I mean, I don't know, but want to do something. And yet she was looking for permission from you that it's okay. You've got $20 million, well, I'm making it up in the bank. You she didn't that. have that much, but she had a significant amount of money and she goes, I'm not rich. You know, and that comes to a label of what people consider poor, comfortable, wealthy, rich. And they equate, I think, she equated a first class ticket with being rich. What about the people that have to live within their means? Meaning, they, they can't afford a first class ticket. But, you know, I mean, we, we kind of chatted about this, that there's always external pressure. The world around us, I think, that puts a label on us in a way. And maybe we don't want to exactly keep up with the Joneses, but we might want to to some extent. I don't know if I'm making sense here. You are making sense, but the conversation more often than not. And there are
0: times when there are people that are keeping up with the Joneses and they are spending down their money. And unfortunately, we are constantly to those people. And in my practice, there's not a lot, but there are some. And, and <laughs> I leave that job to my son. He's better at it than me. <laughs> but there are people that we have to say, you're spending too much money. Now, I sometimes joke with them and say, you know, if you keep spending the way you're spending, you're going to have to die at 82. That's it. You're finished. Just you have to know that. And sometimes that joke does help them put it into perspective. And there are times there have been times when we've had a couple of people that have not stopped spending and have gotten into harder areas and at times, they've had to done certain things like sell a home that they didn't want to leave because that was the only way they could afford to continue on. Or they had to do that terrible knock, knock, daughter, I need to move in with you. But it's in my practice, it's very rare. Usually, we can keep them within their means. As I said, more often, my clients spend too little, not too much. But it does happen. The other difference is within their means, you'd be surprised how people living their lifestyle within their means, how they've learned to do that so that the people who have smaller bundles of money usually have lifestyles that will live within that distribution rate. So they've lived that lifestyle and built up that pile. So when somebody says, how much money do I need to retire? The answer has to be, it depends. What lifestyle are you living? And if we can discuss and pretend to have living a a lifestyle in retirement, like I need a golf club and I need this and I need that, then I could come up with the, this is how much money you have to have in order to live that lifestyle. And if they have a different lifestyle, then this is how much money you need. And typically people know where their lifestyle is. And very, very often retire within that same lifestyle?
1: I think words that come to my mind when you do what you do or I do what I do, there has to be trust. There has to be integrity. I mean, when I look at core values and I work with clients on that, my two are trust, integrity. And I would have to guess that for your business, working with people with a very kind of a delicate subject as money that they have to really trust you and feel there's integrity there that you are not going to take advantage of them or do something. And and we do
0: that through education. We do that through, and sometimes they don't even want to hear it. It's like, no, 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 we trust you. But we do that through showing them as basically as we can so that they can see through everything. We try to let them. One of the biggest things I've said to people over and over again, because I work with widows a lot. Sometimes I work with my clients who become widows, right? But what I like to tell them is that they're capable, that they have to step in, that they don't want to go to somebody who says, honey, I'll take care of you because that's not the right answer. So it's very, very important integrity and trust. Through education, through letting them see what's going on and know what's going on. You're capable of it. We'll help you, but we need you to be the person who's taking control. I do that from the very, very beginning of my relationship. When I work with clients, very often one person doesn't want to come. And I always have people come in, not every meeting, but many meetings, both. The non-financial spouse needs to be there. They need to hear. They need to understand. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the husband who's the financial spouse. Many times there I have in, in a husband and wife situation, I have a wife who's, I take care of everything. He doesn't do anything with money. He just works and gives me the money and that's it. So it doesn't have to be, It's not a gender issue. It's a who likes to take care of the finances and who doesn't. But I want the person who does not take care of the finances to be involved at a certain level. Because they need to understand what's going on. So that God forbid they are alone, they're not going to walk in and say, I don't know anything, I can't do anything. And then we can help them learn a little more and understand a little more. And yes, we're there for them. We're going to help them. But we need people not to totally be uninformed.
1: That's about power, you know, holding on to your power and feeling that they're empowered, whatever the situation is that comes up. Exactly. What is one last bit of advice or tidbit you can offer our listeners with financial power, financial happiness? It's not just money, it's your life. Correct. The one piece
0: I would say is many people might have advisors or be doing it themselves, but they're looking in a tunnel vision. And one of the things I want people to understand is that, and it's also not retirement. You need to be enjoying your life while you're living your life because God forbid you retire one day and die the next. I mean, that's not what you were planning, but it could happen. So it has to be all your life. It has to be some kind of, it's not just your money, it's your life, all your life. And what I really tell people to do is broaden their vision and make sure that they're not just traveling that straight line without looking in other directions. Because sometimes I always say to people, you know what you know, and some of the things you know, you know you can't do and you don't want to know. So what you know you don't know, the biggest area of concern is what you don't know you don't know. And that's where certain financial advisors financially can help you
1: understand things that you never even knew you should know. Beth Blecker, this has been so enjoyable. I've been so fascinated. I so appreciate your being with me with this conversation. And I love, remember, it's not just money. It's life. And I'll tell you something, if the
0: audience, if you say, I would love to have a copy of that book, go to my website, easternplanning.com, because I just want this to be out there. And so if you go to my website, there's an area on my website, it's a new website now and the area is about to come up. But there will be an area on my website that says I want your book. And we're sending people books because I just want people to broaden their horizons and enjoy their lives.
1: Thank you, Beth. This has been so enjoyable. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation. For related content on extraordinary work, visit my website, trycoaching.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe to future podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Always remember, when you work with passion and purpose, your work can become extraordinary. Craig Siegel, founder of Cultivate Lasting Symphony, went from Wall Street to the street of purpose and passion. You'll definitely want to listen as Craig talks about his journey, his reinvention, and realizing he wanted to help people reach their full potential.